Good morning. Good to see you. Good to have our guests with us today. Glad that you're here. We'd like to say welcome home. If you're looking for a church home, please consider Vera Christian Church. We'd love to have you be a part. And those who are joining us live stream, thanks for being with us as well. It's a good Sunday to be here as we're beginning a new sermon series today, and it's entitled Killing Kryptonite. And some of you are thinking, Steve, I mean, what is this, a sermon about Superman? Are we in church or are we in Comic-Con? Well, we are in church, and this is not a sermon about Superman, but there are some similarities, if you think about it, between Superman and the people of faith. Here are a few. Superman is not from this world, and a child of God is not of this world. Uh, he possesses supernatural powers that normal human beings don't possess. We are supernaturally empowered in ways that those in the world are not. He fights evil, we fight evil. He protects and liberates those oppressed by villains. We guard the weak, set captives free with the gospel. And he draws his strength from the sun, S-U-N. We draw our strength from the sun, S-O-N. What I want to focus on here is uh, Superman's weakness. Uh, if you're familiar with Superman, it's kryptonite. It's a radioactive substance that originates on his home planet. When he's exposed to it, he gets weak. He's actually weaker than even a normal uh, human being is. And there is a spiritual kryptonite that we deal with, and it originated on our home planet as well. And part of its danger is, same for Superman, it's not always easily recognizable. We don't always identify it and recognize it. We're going to deal with that uh, in the course of this sermon series. Now today, what I want to do today is I'm going to tell four stories. These are four stories from the Bible. They're all true. Four stories from the Bible that basically have one theme. See if you can see what the theme is as it emerges this morning. And then we're going to have one takeaway. On the back of your bulletin, if you have one, if you like to fill in blanks, there are uh, blanks back there. <clears throat> but four kryptonite stories. Let's start with communion kryptonite. Communion kryptonite. And uh, this is in the Corinthian church. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. He says, this is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ... You are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. And that is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. Weak, sick, and some have even died. <clears throat> now, what's going on here? Well, Paul's talking about what we would call the Lord's Supper or communion. And back then, they did it differently than we do it. It's, it's mostly a ceremony. for us. We do it in ceremonial form. They had an actual meal a lot of times, like a big church dinner. And so what would happen, there were people that were getting there early, and they're eating up all the food. And the ones who came late just had scraps. So some people in the congregation were being very uh, greedy, and they weren't honoring the body of Christ or discerning the body of Christ, as some versions have it. He writes um, in chapter 11, again, verse 21 and 29 through 30, for some of you, <clears throat> now I've italicized that word some, some of you, Hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. And as a result, some go hungry, others get drunk. Verse 29, for if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment on yourself. That's why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. Now, so a couple of weeks ago, we, were, we had the big grand opening for our educational wings that recently got and completed, and so we had wings to celebrate wings. We ate chicken wings. And so you, you took a tour of the building and wound up over here in the kitchen area and enjoyed wings. We had boneless wings and bony wings. And so, hey, leaders eat last. So, I mean, I was the last one over there. <clears throat> Do you know that there were not any boneless chicken wings left? That's right. 
Oh, I had to eat a, I had to eat bony chicken wings. Same kind of thing that's going on right here. I mean, people just jumping in and getting all the good food. And a lot of the scholars believe, not exactly the same kind of thing, but a lot of the scholars believe that it was the poorer classes that were being hurt by this. They didn't have as much control over their time. A lot of early Christians were slaves, and so they were the ones who were late. And, uh, and Paul says, this is a problem. He says, many are weak and sick, and some have even died. Just, was this physical weakness, sickness, and death? or spiritual weakness, sickness, and death. You know, I don't know. The commentaries are all over the place about that. Could have been physical back in that day. I don't think it would be today, but back in that day, there were some things that happened that had physical consequences. They're not exactly the same today. But what I do want us to notice, there were consequences to the sin that was taking place in this body of Christ. And I want you to notice the some and the many. Some were doing this. Some were being kind of greedy and jumping in there. But many he says, were affected. And it appears that, uh, you know, it could have been kind of a collateral damage type thing where those who were weak and sick and dying and whatever the, the case may be weren't even necessarily the ones who were committing the sin. Now, before you say, hey, that's off in left field, I, I don't think that's even possible. Let me just read you a couple of commentaries. Paul Butler, Bible study textbook series by College Press. He comments on this passage, quote, Unworthy observance of the Lord's Supper brings condemnation to the whole body of Christians when worship is profaned by play acting. It's contagious. Hypocrisy and division will soon infect the, an entire congregation. Uh, here's another quote from the Pillar New Testament Commentary. Quote, It should not be assumed that the sick or dying were particularly guilty of the sin. But like most plagues of divine judgment in the Old Testament, the plague could fall indiscriminately on the community as a whole. Why would that be the case? Why would the sin of some have consequences for many others who were not necessarily committing that sin? Well, because God sees us as a body. He sees us as a body. Now, let me, let's delve a little deeper into the context here. Let's go back one chapter from chapter 11 to chapter 10. This is what Paul is teaching leading up to his teaching about the communion service and the Lord's Supper here. And it refers to Israel in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel. And he kind of sets the stage. He says in verse 11, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, these things happened to them, Israel, examples for us. They were written down to warn us, us who live at the end of the age. So it's not just a history lesson here. And let me summarize what he says about the nation of Israel in, the old, in uh, chapter 10 here. In the Old Testament, of course, they've been delivered from Egyptian bondage. Moses is leading them out in the desert, the wilderness, uh, for 40 years out there. And he says, now, this nation of Israel, they all were led by the cloud. So if you know your Old Testament history, it's real helpful. That God was leading them with a pillar of fire at night and a cloud during the day. So he said they were all led by the cloud. And they all passed through the Red Sea, this great miracle passing through the Red Sea. And he compares that to baptism, says they were all baptized into Moses when they passed through the Red Sea. And he said they all ate the same spiritual food, which what would that have been? Manna. They're all eating the manna. And they all ate, they drank the same spiritual drink. And the emphasis is on all, 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 all. And he says the rock, you know, the water came from the rock, the rock that followed them was Christ. So they're, he's emphasizing all. They're individual Israelites, but they, they're a covenant people, and they form one body and one people. And he makes this disappointing statement in, in verse 5. He says, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Let's make a differentiation between the love of God and the pleasure of God here. So God loves us. He loves us with a crazy love. 
there's probably nothing that you can do that I can do that would cause God to love us more than he does right now or that would cause him to love us less. He just loves us. But how pleased God is with us is up to us. In fact, uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, our goal is to please God. That's our goal. We want to live to please God. And most of these Israelites died in the wilderness having fallen short of the promises that God had made. They didn't make it to the promised land. Why? Sin. Here are the sins that he identified, coveting, idolatry, immorality. They tested God. They were complaining. And then he writes this in, in uh, verse 15 of chapter 10. You're reasonable people. Decide for yourselves if what I'm saying is true. When we bless the cup of the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? When we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. Think of the people of Israel. Were they united by eating the sacrifices at the altar? Now, in our day and age, there's a lot of emphasis put on having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You hear that all the time. An individual relationship with God, which is necessary. We, we need to have that. If we're going to enter into God's grace and be saved, that's an individual choice. I can't do that for you. You can't do that for me. So there's that. But there's much less emphasis on our corporate identity and relationship. You know what I mean by corporate? I just mean group when I say corporate. So when we're saved, we enter into the body of Christ or a, the family of God. We become a part of the church. Church, universal, invisible, okay, but also a a local body of believers, like the church at Corinth or the church at Rome or the church at Jerusalem or the church at Ephesus. We're, we're a part of a, a body. And part of what emerges here is what we do or don't do not only affects ourselves. Now, it does affect us. There are personal consequences to obedience, and there are personal consequences for sin, but not only affects us. It, and this is an inference, and I can't prove this, the some many in this example, but it appears that, that sin has consequences, collateral damage, not just for ourselves, but for the body, the body as well. All right, that's story number one, <clears throat> communion kryptonite. We're going to go to the, New, the Old Testament, rather, for our story number two. I call this covetous kryptonite, covetous kryptonite. And looking at Old Testament Israel, let's advance one generation, not under Israel under the leadership of Moses, but Israel under the leadership of Joshua. Moses hands off the baton of leadership to Joshua. It's going to be Joshua who leads the children of those, the grown children of those who died in the wilderness, They're going to lead them into the promised land, a seven-year military campaign to conquer the land of Canaan, the promised land. And the first battle they fight is the Battle of Jericho. Jericho is a, a huge city, influential powerful city and God's going to show his mighty power on behalf of the Israelites but he has specific instructions in Joshua 6 17 Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord do not take any of the things set apart for destruction everything made from silver gold bronze or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury so the, the soldiers were not allowed to take any of the plunder from Jericho so they have the Battle of Jericho, and Israel is invincible. They are unstoppable. There are no, they don't even have any casualties, not even any wounded that we know of. But, we read this in Joshua 7.1, but Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things, 
So the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Did you see that? The way the Holy Spirit puts it, now it's just one man, Achan, who violated those instructions. But the way the Holy Spirit puts it here is Israel violated the nation. And the Lord was angry with the Israelites. Why? Because he sees them as a covenant body. There are consequences. So, but nobody knows that. Nobody knows what Achan has done. It's not a conspiracy. He just did this all on his own. Stole some of those things. So the next battle up is the battle of Ai. They're going to attack this little city of Ai. Now, they've just defeated Jericho, and there was a big city, little town of Ai. said, we don't even need to send the whole army up. So they just send 3,000 soldiers to attack and hopefully to defeat Ai. But that's not what happened in this next battle. Joshua 7, 4. But they were soundly defeated. And the men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. Whoa. Could this be the same nation that was unstoppable against Jericho? Now they're weak. They're retreating. They're defeated. What happened? They ran into some kryptonite. They ran into some kryptonite. So, there are 36 wives in the nation of Israel whose husbands aren't coming home from that battle. There are children whose fathers aren't going to come home from that battle that day. Not because of what those 36 men did. They were not the ones who violated, but because of what one man did, Achan. And the Israelites are dumbstruck. And they're falling before the Lord. They're crying out, what in the world is going on? They say, Joshua 7, 7, they say, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you're going to let the Amorites kill us? And God responds, verse 10, Get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. Israel has sinned. So they go through this process. They figure out who did what. It's Achan. They deal with him. And uh, we read in verse 26, so the Lord was no longer angry. So they're, they're, I'm, not saying they're not, I'm not saying there are not, in, there are not consequences to an individual who commits willful, known, deliberate sin. There are. But what we're saying here is there are also is collateral damage. There are consequences in this case to the, the covenant body at that time, which was the nation of Israel. Okay, so we started with the church in Corinth, and then we took a look at Old Testament Israel. Now I want to flip back to Corinth for our third story. Call this immorality kryptonite. Immorality kryptonite. 1 Corinthians 5.1, earlier in the letter, Paul writes, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Now, so what happened was, in the church there at Corinth, there was a man who was involved in sexual immorality, and everybody knew it. It was open, it was deliberate, it was willful, it was wrong, and the whole church knew about it. And the leadership in the church was ignoring it. They wouldn't do anything. I don't know why they were ignoring it. We're not told. Maybe he was a very influential member. Maybe he gave a lot of money to the church. Maybe he was a brand-new Christian, and they didn't want to hurt his feelings and have him leave where he wouldn't be there, where he could continue to hear the Word of God. We just don't know. But Paul's, Paul addresses this in no uncertain terms. 1 Corinthians 5.2, you should remove this man from your fellowship. 5.5, 5, you must throw this man out. 5.7, get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. And 5.13, you must remove the evil person from among you. Four times in 11 verses, Paul says, put him out, put him out, put him out, put him out. Why? Why is Paul so hard line and adamant about this? Because he knows what's at stake. 
Uh, he's zealous for this community of believers, these Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 5, 6, he says, Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads to the whole batch of dough? It's going to affect the entire church. Now, I'm a baker. Uh, I bake a couple of loaves of bread every week. And I can tell you about yeast. So I know about yeast. You know, as far as the proportion of ingredients that go into a one-pound loaf of bread, yeast is just about the smallest proportion. So you're going to have a cup and a half in a water, one, one and a half cups of water. You have a third cup of oil. You have a third a cup of honey. As I make it, you have four cups of flour. And then you have one little tablespoon of yeast. But you know what happens. That yeast permeates that entire one-pound loaf of bread. I mean, don't make me bring my bread machine back in here. You know what happened the last time? We were all smelling the homemade bread, right? But uh, same thing. Do you know during the Passover, when the Israelites celebrated the week-long Passover, that God instructed them to get all the yeast out of the house? No yeast for that week. Why? Because the yeast represented sin. And part of what's being communicated there is, hey, we're a covenant body of believers. And in, in this body, Israel, in that case, church in this case, there is to be no willful, deliberate, knowledgeable, knowing sin taking place. I'm not talking about a person who falls into sin. I'm talking about willful, knowing sin. So Paul writes, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 5, Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. And Paul recognizes this person who's involved in the immorality is in grave danger, spiritual danger. If he does not repent, his soul is in danger. And there is also danger to the congregation, to the church as well. And so the idea seems to be, you know, put him out of the church, no longer in the church fellowship, maybe not under the protection of God, experiences some very difficult physical consequences, and hopefully that'll be a wake-up call to him. It's all, that's often the way it works. You know, hard times can be a wake-up call, which is, in fact, what happened for this man. We know in the second Corinthian letter, he repented, came back into the church, he was saved. The church was, was good and healthy. Okay. You know, we're not, and we're talking about church members here. I mean, does it mean we can't have anybody in the church who's involved in some kind of sinful practice? Oh, no, no, no. We're not saying that at all. The Bible's very clear. We're to invite people into our homes. We're to go out in the world. We're to have folks who come in who may not be believers. We want them here to hear the message of God. But it cannot be an incomplete message of God. And we cannot communicate to people that they are in a saved relationship with the Lord if they have not repented. And we, as a people of God, often need to continue to repent. All right, so a fourth kryptonite story here, my fourth story. I call this idolatry kryptonite. Let's go back to the uh, Old Testament. Old Testament Israel under Moses. Moses' leadership. They're wandering out there, and one of the places they camped was called Acacia Grove. So they were camping there at Acacia Grove. We read in Numbers 25, verse 1, some of the men, oh, here we go again. I told you to watch for a pattern that emerges, right? Some of the men defiled themselves by having sexual relations with local Moabite women. These women invited them to attend sacrifices to their gods. So the Israelites feasted with them and worshiped the gods of Moab. In this way, Israel joined in the worship of Baal of Peor, causing the Lord's anger to blaze against the people. I mean, they weren't supposed to do this. It was in the law of Moses. You're not supposed to even, 
uh, uh, interact with the people of Moab, certainly not have sexual relations with them, do not marry them, do not worship other gods, do not involve yourselves with idolatry, and they were doing all of that, all of that. So in verse 4, Numbers 25, 4, the Lord issued the following command to Moses, seize all the ringleaders and execute them before the Lord in broad daylight, so his fierce anger will turn away from the people of Israel. As Moses was issuing these very orders, there was an Israelite man named Simeon who, who got a Moabite woman, her name was Cosby, and brought her into his tent right in front of Moses, right in front of Joshua, right in front of the nation of Israel, in front of God and everybody. I mean, they're issuing these orders, and he take, he's got a Moabite woman and takes her into his tent, and everybody is stunned and shell-shocked. I can't believe it. And finally, there's one fellow named Phinehas, grandson of Aaron, who's had enough. And he takes a spear, and he enters into that tent, and with one thrust, he jabs that spear through the body of Simeon and Cosby and kills both of them, one blow. So we read in verses 8 and 9, Numbers 25, So the plague against the Israelites was stopped, but not before 24,000 people had died. Some, many. Some, many. And uh, in verses 8 and 9 again, Phinehas, here's what we read about. Phinehas, God says, has turned my anger away from the Israelites by being as zealous among them as I was. So I stopped destroying all Israel as I had intended to do in my zealous anger. Now, <laughs> Our takeaway this morning, so, so our theme is some, many. But our takeaway is the power of one. Now, I'm, not, I'm not discounting grace. We're not really, you know, our sins can be forgiven, absolutely. We understand that. We're all people of grace. We all have things that we deal with, hurts, habits, hang-ups. So I don't, I, don't, I don't know how many ways I can qualify this. It does not negate the need for repentance from sin, ongoing repentance of sin in our lives. The takeaway is the power of one. We saw three negative examples, but also one positive example. The, uh, a change in mindset has to take place when we become a Christian. We're going to be a part of some local body of believers. Some of you are guests this morning. You may be looking for a church home. God bless you. You should be doing that. Every Christian needs to be a part of a church family, a local body of believers, whether it's this one or another one, whether it's organized or meets under a tree or in somebody's home, but in some body of believers, but we recognize the power of one. What we do or what we don't do affects us, but also affects our covenant body, the church. Uh, this change. This is what, why Paul writes again to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, 23, in this context of the Lord's Supper and what was going on there. They weren't honoring each other in the body. He says, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. Listen to the blessing that God pronounced on Phinehas. Numbers 25, 12. Now tell Phinehas that I'm making my special covenant of peace with him. In this covenant, I will give him and his descendants a permanent right to the priesthood for in his zeal for me, his God, he purified the people of Israel, making them right with me. Finney has experienced a personal reward and a family blessing that became a legacy 
to his children and his children's children for all generations. The power of one, for good or for evil, what we do affects us, it affects our family, even down to multiple generations, and it affects the church for good or for evil. And this is going to be a series. And when we're just getting started, we have a lot more to say about, really, I haven't delved into the exact nature of kryptonite. I'm going to do that. And to repentance and confession and the role that all, that all plays. But it's going, to be, it's going to be a message about repentance. We need to hear this, and we need to hear it often. Because as the Hebrew writer says, or the Holy, the Holy Spirit says in Hebrews 3.8, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Our Father in heaven, today we want to hear from you. We are listening for your voice in your word. We're listening for the Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm looking at the man in the mirror. I'm looking at me, and I pray that all of us here, we're looking at one another. We're not talking about looking at other people and you know, necessarily confronting other people. We're just looking at ourselves. As we know, we often struggle with, uh, with habits and with sins. And we pray, God today as a people we are once again repenting we repent before you humbly before you relying on the power of jesus the power of the resurrection the power of the holy spirit to put to death the seat the, the deeds of our flesh sin in jesus name we pray amen